take advantage of the time that we have to be in the presence of God. Amen. I just pray that the Holy Spirit wells up within your soul and just washes the filth of this world from you. Amen. just want Him to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. He has the answer for whatever need, whatever trouble you're going through. Amen. I believe Jesus can touch you today. Amen. I pray you'll sing this with me. I stand in awe of you. QF. You are beautiful beyond description, oh, too marvelous for words, wonderful for comprehension, like nothing ever seen or heard. And who can fathom the depths of your love? You are beautiful beyond description. Majesty. Now, you are beautiful. 
Bye. 
Softly, we're going to take our needs before the Lord at this time. Amen. I believe He's willing and able to meet whatever need that we could bring before Him. Amen. He can face any challenge. Amen. There's nothing too great for our God. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask Brother Aaron McGarry if he would take the needs before the Lord for us. <clears throat> we just want to remember Sister Shirley Buchanan tonight in prayer. Um, also have prayer request for Sister Karen, and uh, we definitely want to remember Brother Ron Spencer in prayer. He has a series of scans coming up, Man, we want to pray for a good report for our brother, amen. Uh, please remember Sister Erica Reagan in your prayers, Brother Donnie Reagan's daughter. Uh, just want to remember that special need, and continue to remember Brother Troy and Sister Connie Hughes, amen their time of need as well. Um, I have a request here for Brother Bill and Sister Cindy Walters to remember them in prayer. I don't see them in the building. 
this time. So if we remember that special need, and if you would remember Brother jo- or Little Jonah Cross in prayer, and for the need they're going through as well. Amen. Uh, remember my daughter Caitlin. Amen. She had a dentist appointment today, and uh, she's doing much better now. She, I appreciate your prayers for her. She had an accident a few days ago that really banged her up pretty good. But she's doing much better now, and uh, she's recovering nicely. Uh, so all is well. And, uh, but if you'll just continue to remember that in prayer, we would greatly appreciate that. May I come now, brother, and take these needs before the Lord. Do you have unspoken prayer requests? Amen. Hold that need on your heart, and we're going to pray with you. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, first we just want to express our thanksgiving to you for your many blessings upon us. Lord, we have praise upon our lips today as we enter into your presence. Lord, we thank you for all the goodness uh, that you've poured out upon us, the many blessings that we see in our lives. And Lord, no doubt, Lord, we're not conscious or aware of many, many more blessings and protections and things that you've granted us, Father. And we just want to express, despite the darkness, despite the trials, despite the difficulties, Lord, we acknowledge you're a good God. You've been good to us and you've blessed us. And we offer that thanksgiving. We offer up praise tonight, Lord, as we worship giving You the, the glory that's only due to You, giving You the praise that, that is an unction within our hearts, Lord. It's instinctive praise. And Father, with the thanksgiving and praise from our lips and our heart, Lord, we bring to You these petitions. Lord, there's so many right now that are being challenged physically, so many sick amongst us, Father. Lord, it's on a daily basis, multiple requests coming in for family members being stricken with cancers and our, our, our people we know and love being stricken with a, a sickness. And Lord, I believe that there is no quantity or number of sicknesses or, or number of cancers or number of uh, diseases, Lord, that would ever cause us to wane in our faith, that would ever cause us to weaken our resolve to believe that all things are possible. And Lord, I pray that you would grant not only a perfect healing to those that are requesting prayer and a total deliverance to those that are sick, but I pray, Father, that you would banish all fear, that you would take away any stigma, Lord, anything that the devil would be trying to accomplish through the sickness. We know that you could completely heal. But also, Father, we pray that you deliver from fear and doubt. You bring a spirit of peace to Sister Erica Parker, Lord, that you'd give a confidence to Brother Donnie and Sister Carol that their daughter is going to be well. Be with Brother Lance and their daughters, Lord, as this trial comes upon them. Lord, for Brother David Siler and the needs in his church, for, for the different ones that have been mentioned tonight from our own church, Lord, as a family, we hurt, Lord, when we hear that there's those that are suffering and they're sick. So we pray, Lord, may you come to their aid tonight and touch their body. May you raise them up and make them well. And may you give them a spirit of peace. Lord, for those that have suffered in accidents, Lord, or received physical harm, we pray that you'd mend that and make it well. And tonight, Father, we commit ourselves to you, desiring that the bread of life would be fed to us, Lord. We do not desire anything other than the pure word of God. And we know with that expectation we shall receive it. So bless our pastor, Lord, as he ministers. May he feel complete liberty. May there be no constraint on time, Lord. May there be no constraint on boldness. But may the word be faithfully delivered to our hearts as we faithfully receive it. Bless us now, we pray, as we express to you that we love you. 
but with all of our hearts, Father. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. You can have your seats. Amen. Let's sing this song together. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He is worthy to be praised and adored. So we lift up holy hands and one
He's done great things. For He has done great things. Is that right? Oh, yes. He has done great things. And He has done great things. Oh, makes his way open the eyes of my heart open the eyes of my heart Lord open the eyes of my heart I want to see you yes I want to eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. Oh, Lord, I want to see you. Stand and sing with me. To see you high and lifted up. Shining in the light of your glory, pour out your power and love as we sing, Holy, 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 Holy. I want to see you from the top now as your pastor comes. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. Yes, I want to see you. To see you high and lifted up. Oh, shining Light of your glory, pour out your power and love as we sing, Holy, 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 Hol
the Lord. A couple of very brief uh, prayer requests this evening before we go to look to him in prayer. This evening, um, Brother Daryl Ward, I mentioned on Sunday, had contracted the virus over in Tennessee and um, the other side of Tennessee, and he and his wife and daughters were quite sick, and uh, they asked us to remember them in prayer. Also, as well, Brother David Seiler, uh, who's the pastor in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. They have about 30-plus people over there who are not well. Some of them are very serious. And so uh, they've uh, put out a prayer request uh, asking for uh, intercession of the saints. And so uh, we'd like to do that tonight. Also as well, uh, Sister Danielle Swafford uh, had a procedure done on her. Uh, it was an, an artery that uh, related to circulation in her leg. And she's recovering, doing, uh, doing better, and uh, I told her that we would remember her in prayer also as well. Uh, the other last thing, Sister Becky is traveling tonight. She had to go uh, up into um, Harrisonburg, Virginia, and she's on her way back. She's going through some difficult storms up there, and so uh, we want to remember her in prayer as well. Now, I want you just for a moment, just bow your heads together, and I want you just to take this moment just between you and God and whatever your need is tonight I want you just to make that known to him it's not always important that we know it and say it that's okay and that's certainly fine but I want you to have the confidence that God hears you even if your request is never uttered he still hears that request Heavenly Father as we bow in your presence tonight there is such great comfort we have in knowing that you're a God who answers prayer. You're a God who is concerned about everything we go through. There are needs among us. And Lord, I, I would say that there always will be, as long as we're in these bodies and as long as we're in this earth. But Lord, that doesn't make the need any less important in our lives. And so we just have confidence that we can come to you Bind our requests together. Give them to you, Lord, with confidence and know that you hear us, you care about us, and, Lord, you already have an answer. And so we're thankful that we have that place to come to. We're grateful, Lord, that we have a, an oasis so we can come and be refreshed in your presence. So, Lord Jesus, we invite you now to just minister to our hearts as we gather tonight around the tree of life. Lord, break that bread and fill our, hung, fill our cups, Lord, I pray, and feed our hungry souls. We just want to say, Lord, that with all of our heart, we love you and we thank you. We have great confidence in you. Our hope rests in thee. And, Lord, we just ask that you would just take complete control tonight for your glory. We ask it all in Jesus' lovely name and for your glory, we pray. Amen. And amen. Praise the Lord. While you're standing tonight, let's take your Bibles and let's look in the Scripture together. We're going to be looking in Revelation chapter 5, and we'll take a verse out of there tonight. Revelation, the fifth chapter, and we'll do that quickly just so you can take your seats there. Revelation chapter 5. Verse 9, they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou, thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. 
May the Lord add his blessing. You may be seated. Good to have the McCaffreys uh, back with us and uh, for all of you. And I don't know, oh, this is the Cockman family. God bless you all. Good to have you with us tonight. And may the Lord richly bless you. Good to have uh, Sister Jessie with us. And uh, great testimony of God's grace and mercy in her life and feeling better. And we're thankful for that. And uh, we're going to try to get that testimony out of her in more detail so we can encourage other people. And uh, that's great. Good to have Ethan and Anna with us tonight, and each and every one. May the Lord bless you. Uh, it's also, uh, as well, I don't think, a uh, surprise to anybody here in the assembly uh, that uh, Brother Aaron and his family are going to be moving out to Phoenix, Arizona. And we knew for uh, when Brother Aaron and Sister Elizabeth and family came to our assembly that it was going to be just for a season, and uh, we're grateful that they, that they did. Uh, whether for a week or a year or a lifetime, we were honored and are honored to have them uh, among us and uh, be a part of us. And um, we, Aaron and Elizabeth, we appreciate you very much in the family and uh, trust that the Lord will honor uh, your decision to go and serve him in Phoenix. And we stand with you in prayer. And uh, I know that for all of us, whether it's loading the truck or loading the cannon that uh, fires our prayer at heaven, we are going to be holding you up and uh, trusting that the Lord will bless you and your endeavors there and uh, starting a little assembly there in in Phoenix. And uh, there's a lot of people in Phoenix who need good ministry, that's for sure. And uh, a lot of churches and believers out there, but uh, there's a lot of people who need good ministry. And so we're trusting that the Lord will lead them and guide them and bless their efforts and... uh, doing what they can for the kingdom, and uh, that's exciting. And it's exciting for us to have a little part in that, and uh, you always, uh, we want you to take a little part of uh, Hickory with you, and the door is always open. And so may the Lord bless you. wanted to make that official. I think I'm probably the last to announce that. Everybody else seems to know. No one's surprised, but... uh, we are uh, delighted for them and excited for them and their uh, in their venture. You know, it's an important thing to be in the right place, right time, right now. To be in the right place right now. It's a very, very important thing. And so, uh, you know, we, we trust in the inspiration of the Lord and we trust in the leading of the Holy Spirit. It's a very, very important thing in a believer's life. And so uh, we trust that they will uh, be blessed and be a blessing to many as they have been to us. Uh, I wanted to say this too that uh, you know uh, this is uh, you know we're I'm thankful that we're still open, and I don't take that lightly. I really don't. I'm thankful that we're still open. I'm thankful that we're able to gather together like we are. And again, I appreciate the discipline and the efforts that everyone has put forth, and our uh, stalwart deacons who have helped us to. Uh, uh, keep everybody organized and, and things rolling smoothly in the church, and I appreciate that very much. And I don't say that lightly because it's just by the grace of God that we're able to stay open. Uh, there are you know, churches that are closing and churches that are restricting, you know, their involvement and movement and so on. We, we're able to stay open. We're able to, to gather together, and that's great. Um, as I said on Sunday, I appreciate the people who, in, in suspicion of maybe having. Uh, come in contact with the virus. Some are being tested and staying home. 
uh, and I appreciate that uh, voluntary action on the part of, of uh, you people who have done that and the people who are listening tonight who are doing that, and we appreciate that very much. But it means also that we don't get together in the way we like to do it, and I, I, you know, I hate that. We, I think Aaron and Elizabeth have been to the Christmas dinner, and that's it, I think. They've been robbed, and... We're good at get-togethers. We're good at gatherings. And what's that? Yeah. Now they're in the. Now they're real Christians because they're members of the bride because they got to at least that. But uh, you know, even even like our young people's gatherings and the Sunday school in church and all of that. You know, those things suffer in in times like this. Let me encourage you to uh, be inspired and, and, and pick up on the, uh, you know, a leading you might have. You want to uh, do a, a study in your own family or individually. You pick up the Church Age book or the Seals book or a series or uh, something else and, and uh, you know, work through it on your own. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's nice when, when we're here saying, all right, we're going to study this book or this message or this series. We're going to do that. And everybody kind of, you know, jumps on. Uh, let me encourage you that even if even if we're not there pushing you to do that and the Lord lays something in your heart, pursue it and study it. If you've got any questions, let me know. Uh, we, we, we understand Zoom fatigue. That's a real thing. And so you can really only sustain that for so long, and I understand that. Uh, and, I, you know, it, we, it's almost like uh, we've, we've lost a, a year in, in uh, you know, all of this stuff that's gone on. And we have no idea how, how, how long this will go. We really don't. Um, but, you know, in, in every way that you possibly can, uh, it's good for you to edify yourself and build yourself up in the most holy faith. And, uh, you know, we'll uh, do everything we can with our meetings here and uh, trying to keep things rolling, trying to keep things open and moving. Um, All the stuff that we can do behind the scenes, like, you know, our vision books, we've just finished a newsletter. It was sent today uh, for printing, and and, uh, there's there's things that are going on behind the the scenes that are not up front, you know, but they're they're happening. And we're we're, uh, trying to, you know, just keep everything everything rolling along just the best we possibly can. But, uh, Lord willing, uh, if we're able to get back and get things like they kind of normally should be, uh, then we'll jump back into our studies and our gatherings. And, you know, we have uh, things planned for the property and everything else. And and, uh, it's just been slow going because we've been restricted. But I'm thankful that we are able to do what we're able to do. And so I just want to encourage you to uh, be inspired and, and uh, you know, if there's some inspiration that strikes you to study or, uh, you know, do things as a family and, and uh, different ones, and, hey, jump in and, and uh, just uh, put that shell in the gun and, and uh, just uh, supplement what, what goes on in here, supplement that in your own uh, personal studies. Now, Let's turn to the Word tonight. It's a good night for us to take our Bibles and do a little study here, and that's really what I intend to do tonight, Lord willing. Uh, In Revelation chapter 5, we have this uh, phrase where uh, John describes uh, what's going on in that throne room there, and he makes the great statement that he has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. There are many times when uh, things that are said as profound as this in Scripture we assume, we make the assumption that that's what we're going to be later on. That's what we're going to ascend to. 
And I would like to, to bring or broaden this picture a little bit to say that I believe that death doesn't change us, according to Brother Branham's teaching. It doesn't change us. It only changes our dwelling place. So therefore, if we're going to reign over there, there's probably an element of reigning we need to do over here by virtue of having Christ in us, who was the King of kings and the Lord of lords, right? And so uh, I, I, wanna, I, I started this uh, subject online a couple of Wednesday nights ago, and uh, we'd like to just carry it on just in person here tonight. So just a couple of screens of review, and the review helps me. I hope it helps you a little bit. Let's just take a, a reach back here for a moment. Now, the idea of a king in Israel was something that uh, it, it, it looks like in Scripture that the people came up with. Like one day, all of a sudden, they woke up and said to Samuel, Hey, you know what? We'd like to have a king like all the other nations. It didn't start there. God knew that Israel would clamor for a king. But even before that, God knew that David would stand on the earth. And David was a man after God's own heart. David would become a king, right? So the idea of an earthly king uh, leading, providing some leadership for the, for the people of God was not a foreign thing to God. But I will tell you this, that God wanted to do it his way. And there is a right way and a wrong way for a king to reign among God's people. And so in, in looking at this, it becomes very interesting, and I want to I uh, dig in just a little bit this, this evening here to a couple of phrases that are found in the Bible. Now, Brother Branham said, his word is so eternal. When God has said anything, it will remain forever. It cannot be altered. It must be carried out. I think that's really wonderful. And when God speaks, it must be carried out. There's no altering, no playing politics. It's got to be just exactly the way he said it. For if once spoken, it's established forever in glory. So when we read his word, it's eternal and will never cease to exist. That's pretty definitive, isn't it? I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty positive. I believe his word with all my heart, all my soul, all my life, all I am. I just hang on to his word and I believe forever. Uh, I believe it's forever the truth. That's very positive. That's very. Uh, that, that's something that I, I think is uh, a, a great, uh, a great assurance to us. Like we were talking about on Sunday. So, for instance, like uh, Paul says, "We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed." Well, you know what? That means that there's going to come a change of our bodies at the end of the Gentile dispensation. We're not there yet. We're almost there, but we're not there yet. How many would agree? And there'll come a change of our bodies. And then when, when this body is changed, we have another body that we're going to step into, right? And, and this, this life then, this body, will be just a memory. Uh, I don't even know whether we're going, going to remember it, uh, really. I don't know how much of it we're going to remember. As a matter of fact, if we don't remember anything, I'll be okay with that. Uh, if we remember our conversion and what happened after that, that would be all right. Uh, if I never remember what happened prior to my conversion, that's all right. That's good. I'll take that. You know, I, I was, Brother John and I were working, Brother David, we were working uh, downstairs in, in our house this week, and I got a splinter in my thumb. And uh, it's, it's this one here. I did a look. 
It's this one here. And, uh, man, it was a, a piece of plywood. And I don't know, you know, I don't know if you've ever got a plywood splinter. They're no fun. And, uh, it bothered me every, every day. I mean, I noticed it. I didn't whine and complain a whole lot because, you know, there were brothers around and, and so forth. But I, let me tell you, I know everything I grabbed, every, every strike of the hammer, everything I did, I was reminded that I had a splinter and I couldn't see it, couldn't find it. And last night, out of desperation, I, I dug it out, squeezed and pressed and dug it out and, and blades and, pinchers and everything, just went at it and got it out, and finally it pops out. It's a little tiny, tiny little piece of plywood that was in there, just a little tiny, tiny piece. And uh, when I got it out, it was, it was, I mean, it's almost silly how small it is, but how big of a problem it caused. But you know what? It's interesting. When I got it out, it was like, it's over. Didn't think of it again. Haven't, a matter of fact, I just had to look to see which thumb it was in. I couldn't remember. It's this one here. The mark is there. Anybody want to see it, just come on up. If we want to zoom in, uh, we certainly can. But uh, it's gone. Once it's gone, it's like, hey, I don't even think about it anymore. On to the next problem, right? I kind of think like, and this is kind of a (laughs) juvenile way to say this, but I kind of think that when we get over on the other side and we step into that new body, this this one will be like the splinter gone. You don't even think about it anymore. Hey, it's past. It's gone. You know what? Uh, It doesn't even matter anymore. That's the assurance that the Scripture gives us. The spoken word is that. It is that positive. It is that certain. It is that absolute. Brother Branham makes a statement here. It's so eternal. What rolls off the tongue of God is absolutely eternal. You can take it to the bank. It is absolutely going to come to pass. There's no altering it. There's no politicizing it. There's no bartering involved. There's no discussion of it. And there's no election related to it. It's just going to happen. And that's the way we're to approach the word. Remember I told you before, Jews and Gentiles discuss the word differently. Gentiles generally come to the table with a lot on their mind and a lot on their plate. This is where I stand. When a Jew, from from their youth, they're taught to think about the word of God, they come, this is what they say, we come knowing nothing, except God's word is true. That's the way they approach an argument. When, when, they go to do, when they go to rabbi school or when they go to, and they learn their Sunday school before their bar mitzvah, they, they, they know they're taught one thing, that you, you're, you don't have a thought, you, you're, your thoughts really don't matter. God's word is right. We'll start there. So let's look and see what it says. And that's a great way, I think, to approach it. Now, Gentiles are a little bit different because our minds are busy and we think about lots of things. Like when Paul went to Athens, they had all kinds of ideas about what they thought God was. You know what? In reality, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what we think. What, what God's Word says, that's what matters. And here's Brother Branham as a prophet coming to us and making sure we understand that, that God's Word is so eternal, and what God has said anything, it's absolutely going to come to pass. Everybody who believes that, let's hear you say amen. All right, now, so the idea then of uh, a king is, is, like I say, and I want to hold to that because there's lots of different avenues we can take here. Samuel warns the people that there are going to be consequences for you choosing a king. There are going to be consequences even if God chooses a king. But there's going to be certain definite, cons- definite consequences if you choose one. You've got one chance out of 12 that you're going to pick the right person from the right tribe because kings had to come from Judah. And you know what? When they picked, when they picked Saul, they picked the wrong tribe, number one. 
So Saul lasted as long as the first Goliath. And once he ran into the first Goliath, that was it. It was, it was over, right? I mean, he stopped, all Israel stopped right there as soon as they ran into the first Goliath. And remember that when, when Jacob was dying and gathered his sons in Genesis chapter 49 and pronounced a blessing and prophesied over every one of them, when it came to Judah, he said, The scepter shall not depart from thee. Meaning that all godly kings come out of Judah. And so they had one in twelve chances of picking the right tribe in the first place, and they didn't because Saul was from, ben, from Benjamin. But Samuel is trying to explain to them that, in, in essence, you have rejected God. When you've rejected, when you've rejected the, the prophet and you've rejected the word and you've rejected God here, and there are going to be consequences, and, and this, this uh, king is going to require certain things of you. And he's going to take your sons and your daughters as servants and soldiers, and there'll be taxes, and there'll be all kinds of things here. And he rehearsed them. He rehearsed all of this in the ears of the people, and then he rehearsed it all in the ears of God. And God said, "Hey, listen! Before they rejected you, they rejected me." So there is the right concept of a king, and there is the right person who would be king, and there's also a right timing. But Israel didn't have it. Even though Saul, at the, at, the, at the outset, Saul was a good man. Saul had a humility and he had a grace that was upon him in the early part of his reign. Now listen to what Brother Branham says. You may not agree with that, but listen to what Brother Branham said. No matter how much that Samuel tried to persuade the people, continually they went after him day and night. We want a king, a man. We want a man that we can say, this is our guy. It never was the will of God, or never will be the will of God, for man to rule over one another. God rules over man. God rules over man. Let me tell you, you don't need a pastor who dictates anything to you. That's not how the church of the living God is structured. That's not how it's administered. Because it's always better when you do things by revelation... Instead of legislation. If we've got to hand out a sheet that has your dress code on it, the kind of shoes that are acceptable or unacceptable, all the other, all the other little things that are there. And listen, you may look at me and say, hey, you're wasting time, except I know where it's been done. I know where deacons were positioned at the bottom of the stairway to the church to measure the length of the skirt below the knee uh, among the women in that church. And there, unfortunately, there were other things, not so much, I don't think, now, but uh, there, there were things like that that happened. Let me tell you, if, if, if we have to force people into a mold, we're really no better than Amish or Mennonite people. Right? Because conformity is not unity. Unity is what we strive for, and a unity meaning... Not that we all agree, all right, we're all going to, you know, dye our hair orange. That, I mean, we could all agree on that and we could have unity. Being in the same place is not unity, right? Because, I mean, you can have all kinds of people in the mall, but it doesn't mean they're all unified, right? The unity we strive for is that you and God agree. And if you and God agree, hey, I'm good with that. You may like a Ford. I may like a Ford. You may not like a Ford. But you know what? That really is insignificant. That really is insignificant. So what Brother Branham is telling us here is that there is a rulership that God wants to provide over men. Now, there's a difference between dictatorship and leadership. Right? 
We have to have leadership, but we don't need to have dictatorship. I, I think you get the point. So they choose themselves a man named Saul, and he was a reputable, honorable man. He suited the people just right because he was great, tall, noble, stature of a man. Head and shoulders above any man in Israel. He was kingly looking, handsome in the face, a brilliant and an extraordinary man. That's what Brother Branham said. Hmm. Interesting, isn't it? But a lot of times we'll go for image instead of substance. And we had to be very careful about that because in our age... Uh, you know, image versus substance is a big deal. When it comes to elections, for instance, you know, when uh, Kennedy ran against Nixon and uh, you know how John Kennedy won the hearts of a lot of women because he was suave, debonair, charismatic, you know, uh, New England looking and all the rest of it. You know, I mean, he had that kind of David Stevens kind of swave about him. And, you know, he just, you know, just won the hearts of all these people on this new thing called television, and it changed the way campaigns were actually run. You know, so image is a big deal, and and you know, creating the right image, and it may not be what the substance actually is, because the image can be different than the substance, right? Now, remember, now what does God look at? God looks at the heart. God looks at the substance. God looks at what's below the surface, whereas we become enamored with the surface. If we didn't become enamored with the surface, then movie stars and hyper-athletes would not be considered gods in our world. But they are. And, you know, I mean, you can look at them and, and, and people elevate them in status and in stature in their own view. And then, then you find out what they stand for. Then you find out what kind of personal lives they live. Uh, my goodness, you think, whoa. I'm not suggesting that Saul was, was a bad person because here's Brother Branham giving this description about him and saying that, you know, he was, to all appearances, he was the man who stood in the favorable image of a king. He was one who, uh, you know, had a, a persona about him or a personality which was, uh, you know, endeared himself to the people. And he was a gifted man. He, he uh, you know, was anointed. And, and, and if you read the early part of his life, I mean, Saul was not there because he was a bad man and, and uh, you know, did crooked things in order to get there. He was, that was not the case. The people chose Saul. We have no scripture at all that suggests that Saul campaigned for the position. Rather, the people went to Samuel and said, we'd like to have this man. Now, in Deuteronomy, which is long before Saul and Samuel and David, when Moses was describing the people and talking to them about the prospective life they live in the promised land, he said, When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, and shall possess it, they haven't possessed it yet, and shall dwell therein, and shall say, I will set a king over me like as all the nations are about me. Here's God telling the people, When this happens, thou shalt in any wise set a king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose. Here's the one condition that we want to make sure happens, is that when we get to that place, and it's time for a king, let me choose it. But as is typical, the people said, no, we want to, we, we'll take care of this. We can handle it. And as a result, things got off on a bad footing. So that's, the, you know, the, the, God knew that, that it would come to that. So as a result here, uh, we had in 1 Samuel chapter 9, there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bukharath, the son of 
Aphiah, a Benjaminite, mighty man of power. Nothing in here to suggest that these are bad men except their names. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice young man and goodly. The word good and goodlier here is the only, that's the only time it's used in the Bible is when it describes Saul. And it means, it means essentially, uh, it, it, it weighs towards the word moral. That Saul was at, at heart a moral, upright kind of a person, honest. And from his shoulders and upward, he was higher than any of his people. So he had a high standard as well as a, uh, a high height. He had all of that going for him. And that's the way the Bible describes him. So he was made a king. He was not the last as a king. And we know that he changed in the, in the duration of his reign. We'll come back to that in just a moment here. Now this relates to us, as we said and we've read in, uh, last, last time here in Revelation chapter 20. Our future includes a place in the throne. Our future as the bride of Christ, the bride of, the bride of the king, suggests that in the millennium, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection, on such a second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And only monarchs reign. Beyond that, Revelation 22 and 5, there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Now, All of that, all of that is typical of how we interpret the word king and reign and monarch and all those, all those things. When I, hey listen, I'm a, I'm the son of British subjects. My mother and father were British subjects by virtue of being born in Newfoundland, uh, and they were a British, they were a British colony. Until April Fool's Day, 1949, when they took a vote, they still say the vote was rigged, uh, and it had nothing to do with mail-in ballots, but they say that the vote was rigged. And uh, one of the options, by the way, was for Newfoundland to join the U.S., stay a part of England, or to join Canada. Anyway, at the end of the day, they voted to join Canada. April Fool's, 1949, they woke up and drove on the other side of the road, because as British subjects, they drove on that side of the road. Maybe that's why I can drive on that side of the road. Did you know? If, if my wife and I ever get to go to uh, Great Britain, wherever we go, in Scotland or in Ireland or in England, uh, by God's grace, never had an accident yet. Uh, there is, uh, I, we, we often will rent a car if we're on our own. We re- will rent a car. And, of course, everything's on the other side of the road, so the steering wheel's on the other side of the road. And uh, the other steering wheel's on the other side of the car. So what you have to do, literally, is... When, you, when we start, when we rent the car, and we're still in the, in the building, you know, the parking garage, we, uh, we pray and pray earnestly right there. The Lord protect us because in an emergency is when you revert to how your brain normally thinks and swerve to the other side of the road. And uh, there's only been, my wife will tell you, there's only been two times out of all the times we've been there that she has seen her life flash before her eyes. But on the windshield of the car is a little, just a little sticker that they put there, and it says, look left. And that is a constant reminder that you're not supposed to look this way when you're making a turn. You're supposed to look this way, and so it's the opposite. 
And uh, it's really an interesting thing. I'll tell you what, you, you can never, ever take your mind off it. You can't, t- you can't read a text. You can't take a phone call. You can't do anything else because uh, you're locked in. You always had to be thinking about, you know, driving this particular way. But by God's grace, uh, we're, I'm still alive. And able to do it. So maybe that's why. So we were, we were, uh, I'm, I'm sons of, of British citizens. And uh, I'm a son of, Brit- of British citizens. And, uh, that, that's the, um, that's the, the heritage that they had. Now, <clears throat> when we think then, and especially for me, having that heritage, I remember I remember when I was a wee lad, the queen coming down in a car in a convertible in front of our house. In 1959, I believe it was. So I would have been a wee lad. But I remember, and my uncle took videos of the queen passing by in front of our house because we lived on what was then a main thoroughfare. And and, uh, uh, she passed by because they were dedicating the big building that was up the hill from us where we used to go play football. She didn't dedicate it as a football field. She dedicated the building, but the land that was next to it had grass instead of rocks, and so we'd go and play football up there. You say, what is the point of this? I really don't know. I've lost, I've lost the point a long time ago. Emmanuel, can you help me steer me back here? No, let me say this. When we think of monarchs. We think of the Queen of England. We think of, you know, somebody who's in a regal setting all the time. We think of somebody who has grandeur around them. We think of, uh, you know, scepters. We think of Queen Esther. We think of, uh, you know, the, the great parades and the great drama that surrounds royalty, even today in our world. So when Jesus comes, he throws this wrench into the whole thing. He throws, he, he throws a, a different way of thinking at us, which could only come from not this world, because that's not how the Gentiles do it, He's reflecting the life of a king in another world. And, and what he does is he, he, he gathers his disciples in that upper room and he, he takes his garment and he puts it around them and takes a basin of water and kneels before each one of them and washes his feet. And they're like, whoa, we, know, we have a sense of who you really are. Why are you doing this? And Jesus said to them, ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them And they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be as so among you. Whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister or your servant. The word minister there in the Greek, it means an under rower. Somebody, if you've ever seen the Ben-Hur movie, right? And they're underneath the deck rowing. Shame on you for watching movies that are not deep, call it the deep. And they're underneath the deck rowing there. It's an under rower. It's a very common uh, phrase in the in the old te- in the New Testament world, and whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. So here's Jesus kneeling, washing, doing the most menial task as a demonstration of how a king acts according to the kingdom of heaven. And even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So this is a reversal of how we as Gentiles think about kings. God called us, and we become kings and priests unto God. God called us, and we become kings and priests unto God. Like Jesus was God's high priest, we become a lesser priest. 
So we're not equal in terms of uh, the, the sacrifices that he made. But we as fathers, for instance, make great sacrifices on behalf of our family. We as mothers and parents, we make great sacrifices on behalf of our family. We intercede on behalf of our family. God in fullness dwelt in him to shine forth the expression of God to the world. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And he says, then God comes into his church and anoints a Messiah. It's the same power he had in his church. Sorry, the same power he had is in his church. So now don't think of power as an expression of waving the wand and your wife produces dinner for you or you wave your wand and your children all come and bow at your feet. (laughs) Doesn't happen, right? There's a servitude. There's an attitude of service here. There's an attitude of ministry within families that makes families successful as Christian families. And his church becomes his dominion, and he's king over this dominion, and we are kings and priests offering spiritual sacrifices to God, the fruit of our lips giving praise to his name. So there's some decisions that you as a king or a priest in your family should make because God's installed you with that authority. Authority. And it's not inappropriate. You're not your children's savior, but you are your children's parent. And so therefore you have a right, God-given, to intercede, to pray for your children. You have a right to maintain order. You have a right to establish certain things in your house and prevent certain things in your house, right? Even Lot had a door between himself and his family and Sodom. And it's good for a man to establish the boundary line where the world stops and our family begins. And as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Is that okay? And in doing that, we teach our young men how to be fathers and how to be men of God. We teach our, uh, you know, our children how to look after their finances and, and be stewards and be servants and to be leaders and to have, uh, have responsibility and to see that responsibility through. So we're not the high priest, but we are, we are priests nonetheless. And there you are, Brother Bram said, Messiahs, little Messiahs, little anointed ones, anointed off the main one, anointed off the great one. Now... God led the people of the Jews, Brother Ram says in 1954. They were never a nation, they were just a people. And they never was an organized church, they were just a church called out. They never was an organization amongst the Jews, they were always led by God. Now, God was very happy with that. And in that nomadic existence... Uh, they still were under leadership. They were moving to the promised land. God had control. They were being operated. Uh, they were, sorry, they were being led by uh, the Spirit of God, which, which was going to eventually take them to the promised land. And so God knew exactly what he was doing. Their job essentially was to rest in that leadership of God. And I'm saying this for a purpose. Their job was also to rest in the fact that God had everything that they had need of already taken care of, even before the need arose. In the mind of God, the need was already met. So this is something that Israel needed to learn. But we know that by nature, without the Holy Ghost, the people of Israel, you know, they got, they, they got looking at this. And after a while, they said, hey, you know what? We've had enough of this pillar of fire in the sky, cloud in the sky. You know what? We want a king. Just like all the other nations that we see, we're passing through these nations. We want to have a king. We want to have somebody who can sit there and uh, make, make uh, you know, pronouncements and commandments for us and, and so forth. They needed to rest in God's leadership. They needed to rest in God's provision. 
Then when politically, nationally, they wanted to have a king, God gave them a king and it never did work. God's their king. God's our king. God's the king of the church. Let me tell you one of the things that is probably very dangerous, and that is that uh, you, you get what you ask for. That actually is a dangerous thing. Last Sunday night, we were on our way home, and we had William and Eliza with us, and uh, they, were, they were with us, and all of a sudden, the power went out. William lights up, pardon the pun, and he says, ha, this is just what I wish for. I wish that the power would go out, and Nanny would light all the candles in the living room, and we'd be able to sit around by candlelight. I called him over. I said, William, you wish something different. Stop wishing that. It, it, it is kind of a tricky thing for you to get what you want. You know, some people say, well, you know, I'd like to have a million dollars. For some people, and, and some of you immediately lit up. It was interesting. For some people, a million dollars would ruin them, ruin them in a heartbeat. And it would be one of the worst things. Let me tell you, if you needed a million dollars, our God promised to provide our needs. Right? So there are some things that the people here, and the illustration Brother Bam has given is that they, they really wanted a king. And, they, and according to him, they came to Samuel over and over again. And finally, God gave him a king, but it didn't work. God's their king. So now all of a sudden they have this, this image of a king that was not really God's intent. Now, again, the, the, the definition of a, a king is, or a, a ruler is how Jesus changes this. Now, let me, let's take this now then for... For our lives, all right? And this is where we wanted to bring this. In Romans chapter 5. Not only so, Paul writes, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we now have received the atonement. And wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more... They which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. So he gave us an example, but he gives us also an anointing to be able to reign and rule in your life, the life that we live now, as well as being able to reign in the life to come, in the world to come. Now, we, we have lots of examples of this in Brother Random's own ministry. And here's people in the prayer line. Brother Branham's, you know, he's, he's, he's gifted. He's got a gift of healing. He's got an anointing. He's got a relationship with God sensitive enough to, to know when, when he's standing there, when that angel is standing there and when he's not. And he can see on the faces and the affect of the people around him that that angel is, that angel is there, that angel is present. And in that atmosphere, in, under that anointing, He's bold enough to say, I take dominion over every unclean spirit in this building. And I say to Satan, you are a loser. God has sent Christ, and he's won the victory, and I charge thee. So in other words, the authority he's taken is rooted in Christ. It's not rooted in him. It's not rooted in his own idea of things. He's simply taken dominion as an extension of Christ on earth today. Are we okay? And he's got that confidence. He's got that rest that if what, 
what is true about Christ, and all Christ was was poured into the church, then he's got a right to take authority because this, this, uh, this antagonist is taking dominion over God's people. And here he is, he's wrestling that back out of the control of Satan here. And he says, I charge thee by Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to come out of the people and leave them. Now he's tackling every unclean spirit in the building. And sometimes that would be quite a handful. But he's not, he's not intimidated by this at all. He's not worried about this at all. So where does this come from? Let's just go look back for a moment here. In Genesis chapter 17, God makes promise to Abraham. And he says this, For me, behold, my covenant is with thee. And thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee, and I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. So you had Ishmael with a line, and you had uh, Isaac with a line, and, you know, there's, there's nations there. Matter of fact, the entire Middle East, in a sense, owe their existence to Father Abraham. And part of the reason why the conflict still exists is because they owe their existence to Abraham. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant. This is, this is what I want to dig into for a moment. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations when they stand upon the earth in their season for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed. So he's making a promise that is equally weighted to Abraham himself and the generations that follow. Okay? We all right? This is equally weighted. He doesn't just say, I'm going to do this, Abraham, this, Abraham, and by the way, I'll do this. He makes it equally weighted. I'll give it unto thee and to thy seed after thee. The land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. This is a really, this is a really important statement that God makes to Father Abraham. And he tells him here that they are going to reign in, in, this, in this domain that God gives them, uh, not only in Abraham's uh, lifetime, but in the generations that follow. And he said, I will make nations of thee, and I will make kings that will come out of thee. He uses both those words here and, and says that, uh, you know, kings shall come out of thee and nations shall come out of thee. So what God was starting here was something very definitive, something very, very strong, very clear. Now let me illustrate that, all right? The word generations means the continuity the way of imparting things that have durability. So when God was, uh, God was saying this to Abraham, he was, he was telling Abraham that this does not end with just you, but the generations that will come will endure in the same way that you have endured. The promise of stability is given to them as well as you. The promise of continuity is given to them as well as you. It is a permanent thing. There is a durability about this word generations here. So when he says, now you've got to remember, we fall into that little, we, fall, we come under that umbrella of the word generations because we're not Abraham, 
But we are, we are the royal seed of Abraham. How many would agree? We have a royal connection, a supernatural connection to Father Abraham, right? And we're not natural Jews. We don't have to be. We are, we are the royal seed of Abraham, and so therefore we have a connection. So the generations that followed Abraham had imparted to them what God imparted to Abraham. That's the meaning of this Hebrew word. Now, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cheat a little bit. I haven't given you a Hebrew lesson for a little while. So here we go. All right? Remember, vowels don't matter. So this I-looking letter here is really not important. We're reading from left to right, which for you is right to left. So we're going to read this way, this letter, this letter, and this, this letter. Okay? The middle vowel doesn't matter. It, it's, it's a long story. The first letter is Dalet, this T-looking T word letter right here. And this is Haresh over here. So in English, you would say this word. Don't tell a Jewish person I told you this. But it would sound like door. That's how it would be said in, in the Hebrew language. Now, watch this. This letter right here, it has a very definite turn in it compared to this one. This is a like a slope, the R. This D is a, almost like a, a T. It's got a right angle in there, a very definite angle. That letter in the Hebrew language, it means a... Uh, the, the sound of it is like a, def, a definitive letter like D would be. If you say David, if you say this lower letter here, the R sounding letter means that it's I'm sorry. It's a, it's a rolling sound. It's not as, not as sharp or as clear. Now, hang with me for a moment here. If you take this letter and put it in this Hebrew word right here, which is pronounced in English, din, it means structure, organized, disciplined, definite boundaries. The, the letter that God built this idea with, remember Hebrew words are ideas, they're not just individual words. It means something very structured, organized, boundaries are set very clear. This other word down here, which would be our second, word up, second letter up here, rachamin, means... Compassion, mercy, adjusting rules. Uh, we're going to be flexible. All I'm doing is giving you the idea of what, how this, this word generations is made up here. Now, follow me. You remember when Ruth makes a decision to go with Naomi. And she also makes a decision when it comes to Boaz. Brother Branham said that God delighted in the fact that she made a clear-cut decision. She's moving this way, and all of a sudden goes this way. She said, mark where he lieth down. Then when he lieth down to sleep, you go lie down at his feet, is what uh, Naomi said. And mark where he lay at Calvary, where he lay down in the tomb of Gethsemane. And Ruth said, what you say, that I'll do. What a clear-cut decision for a believer. There are some decisions that are clear-cut. We're going this way, all of a sudden we're going this way. All I'm doing now is giving you the idea of the Hebrew word here that God uses. 
Brother Branham says that the clear-cut decision that a believer needs to make, and believe the young people when we say this, that when it comes to conversion and having a born-again experience, it's not a gentle, sweeping curve. It's like, I realize I'm a sinner. I'm lost unless I surrender my life to him. And I've got, to leave, I've got to repent. I've got to turn and go the other way. I've got to completely surrender my life. Hey, my life ends. There's something about my life that ends right there. And I start anew with Christ. It's a definite turning point. But you know that in your experience with Christ, there's lots of adjustments. And there's lots of times when you ask for mercy. You're called upon to show mercy. There are things that are not always so sharp. But you have to navigate through life. The beginning of it is a definite experience. The, the, the living out of your Christian experience, it involves lots of twists and turns in the road. Isn't that right? So therefore, when we take this word generations here, and we take the letters and we turn it around. You can take any Hebrew word and turn it around backwards. It means to decline. It means to, uh, it means gentleness. That's the, that's the word for generations turned around. Here it is in the right way, like it is in the Bible. It means the continuity of something and the way of imparting things that have durability. So when God said to Abraham, here's the point. When God said to Abraham, you and your generations that, uh, that, that follow after you. This is your land. I'm going to do certain things. I've made a covenant between you. This is where it begins. You can drive a stake right in the ground. This is where it starts right here. And I don't want this to be unclear. I don't want it to be vague. I don't want it to be ambiguous. I want you to know that this is where it starts. And you are that person I am the God of the covenant. I'm going to do this. And there's no other question about this at all. That's the way that God says it to Abraham. Abraham, I'm going to give this to you and to the generations that follow you. We find in Luke chapter 21, and he spake unto them a parable. Behold, a fig tree and all the trees, when they now shoot forth, ye see and know of your own selves that summer is nigh at hand. So likewise, when ye see these things come to pass... Know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Let me tell you something. Jesus says this in Luke 21 in relation to our day at the regathering of Israel. Isn't that right? So thousands, 4,000 years after God promises Abraham and his generations continuity, Jesus says in in his lifetime, 2,000 years later, Israel will still be continuing on. Israel will be scattered among the nations, but I'm going to bring them back into their land again because they've been given a promise of continuity. They've been given a promise of something that's durable and nobody will take it away from them. Nobody will destroy them. Nobody will uh, cause them to perish on the earth. Not Hitler or Stalin or anybody else. Jesus says, mark my words, because of the covenant I made with Abraham, one day Israel will show up back in her land again, 4,000 years after I promised it to Abraham. Why? Because the promise of the durability of the generation is stronger than the circumstances that would try to destroy her. 
The promise is stronger. The promise of durability is greater than all the circumstances that Israel would face in her years. And so when God says this about Father Abraham and the generations that follow him, God really means what he says. Like I said in the first quote here, Brother Manum said, God's word is so eternal. Whatever God says, it's going to come to pass. So what Abraham had to rest in, what Abraham learned to rest in was if God said it, you know what? It's going to come to pass. If me and Sarah are going to have a child, we're going to have a child. And Abraham believed that and God accounted that unto him for righteousness. Right? Israel was supposed to do that forever because they were the generations that were included in the promise given to Abraham. Right? Now, take your Bible for a minute. Let's go to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, and put a finger in there. When you get your finger in there, go to John chapter 5. Two, two passages of Scripture here. John chapter 5, verse 19. Watch this. Then answered Jesus... And said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also do the Son likewise. For the Father loveth the Son, and showeth him all things that himself doeth. And he shall show him greater works than these, that ye may marvel. Brother Branham quotes this passage of Scripture over and over and over again. Because Jesus demonstrated an abandonment of his own ideas to do that only which the Father showed him. Right? Jesus abandoned his own agenda. He abandoned his own idea. This is, listen, you know what? I'm not here to do what I want to do. I'm here to do what the Father shows me. But he was more than just um, a hired servant. He was not somebody who uh, waited for orders and, uh, you know, do this, take out the garbage, or... Uh, go and heal this person, something else. I believe that God, sh- I believe that He was shown what He needed to do. I believe that when He went to the woman at the well, for instance, I believe that He knew that she was going to be there. But the idea of the language here is simply this that Jesus knew that God's will was going to come to pass. He knew absolutely that God's will was going to be done, nothing was going to stop it. He had every confidence, He had rest in the fact that it was going to happen just exactly as, as the Father had determined, right? Here's Jesus on earth now as a man, you know, carrying out, carrying out uh, the purpose that he's there on earth for. But he doesn't have any doubts. He's not, he's not saying, well, will this really happen? Will it really not? He's got an abandonment of, he doesn't care. He, he's, he's, not, he's not worried about whether it's going to come to pass. He knows it's going to come to pass. He's resting in the fact that this is the Father's will. This is what he sent on earth to do. It's going to happen. Look over in John chapter 11. This is the resurrection of Lazarus. You know the story. Watch what it says here. John chapter 11. Then said Jesus unto them, verse 14. I mean, John 11:14. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. He's very plain. 
And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, to the intent that you may believe. Nonetheless, let us go unto him. And then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his, unto his disciple, fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. And then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days. And Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off. So if Jesus only did that which the Father showed him, then he must have known that Lazarus was going to come forth from the dead. Right? Right? There was a custom among the Jewish people in Israel at that time that when a person died, their spirit hung around them for at least three days and then departed. That spirit actually hung around. That was their belief. It's not scripture. But they believed that the spirit of that person actually hung around that dead body for three days. And then it departed. It went off into the spirit world. That's what Jews believed back in that time. That's what Jesus knew had it happened. So here's Jesus now. He knows that Lazarus is going to come back. He says, I'm glad I wasn't here for your sake, that you can believe. And you know what he does? He waits. He doesn't come on the first day or the second day or the third day because what if that, what if that story was actually true? Then Jesus would have only summoned this person's spirit from here to here and caused him to come back to life. He lets it go beyond three days, four days, and now he comes back so there's a possibility that that spirit is in close proximity to the body it lived in. You know what he's doing? He's resting in the fact that this is going to come to pass no matter how long it's going to take. No matter how long he's away. And he wants to prove that he is stronger than any tradition or any story or any fable or anything else that's around he is, he is one that's able to resurrect and to bring Lazarus back to life, no matter how many days Lazarus is dead. It's kind of the same thing that Brother Branham said, that if God told him to go down to the grave of Abraham Lincoln, remember, and George Washington to stand there and call for him, he said, I would have done it, but I would have called every reporter to come down and, and uh, witness that, because he said, if God said it, I have a rest in that and a confidence that it's going to come to pass. Why? Because the promise was not made just to Abraham. The promise was not just for Jesus, but for the generations that follow. Do you realize, saints of God, that the promises of God were not just for people that lived in Jesus' day and are not for just people like Brother Branham. They're for people like us because we are the generations that follow. And if it was true for them, it's true for us. If it's right for them, it's right for us. It's just got to be God's will. It's got to be God directing, God leading His church, God being the king of your life, God being the reigning one in your life. And if God leads you to do a certain thing, it's going to happen because no power is stronger than God. And you're a priest and a king by virtue of the Scriptures we've read because that's what God said we are. You may not feel like it, but if you have a right to take dominion over something, you can take dominion over it. So what God gave Abraham was a promise of these generations here. And he said, from this generation forward, from Abraham forward, we're going to make a definite start. We're going to do a definite thing here. And Abraham, I'm making a covenant with you and a promise to you that your, your seed shall possess the gates of your enemies. Right? Isn't that what God said? 
Here I'm going to, you and your seed shall, shall possess the gates of your enemies. So in other words, you are always going to have the upper hand over your enemies. They're never going to be able to overtake you. You're going to have the upper hand because I've given you the promise already. And it's not just to Abraham, but it's to Abraham's generations that follow after him. And that would have to include us as well. Therefore, you do not have to let anything take dominion over you. You have the right to stand and say, hey, hey. I'm, I'm an offspring of Father Abraham by faith and the blood of Jesus Christ. And therefore, I'm not going to let this thing take over my life. I'm not going to let this thing take over my mind. I'm not going to let this thing take over my household. But I'm going to stand as one who is a king and a priest before God and take dominion over this thing. Work for Israel. Jesus said, Luke 21, they'll be there. They'll be there, not because they're the best people on the, in the earth, not because they're organized, because they're, they, for 2,000 years, hardly since the time Titus rolled in, they haven't even had a country. They've been scattered. And all of a sudden, they pop up in 1948, 49, they become a nation here. <laughs> here they are. What is that? That's the promise of durability. That God gave to Abraham way back there. That's the generations he was referring to. We are a part of that. You have a durability about you. That's why you keep coming. Don't tell me you people don't have setbacks. Don't, people, don't tell me you people don't have sicknesses and disappointments and struggles. We do. But you know what? We keep popping up. We keep going. Five years, 10 years, 20 years, you know, you still find the believers around. You know why? Because you can't put them down. They got a promise. They have a promise of durability that the world knows nothing about. You know, we got a promise of durability that we don't even know all that much about. I mean, we, we think, well, you know, it's just church time. We go. Let me tell you, there's a lot of forces that are arrayed to try to keep you away from the tree of life. But we've got a greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world that forces us to the tree of life, that brings us to the tree of life, that keeps that desire burning, that keeps that heart on fire for God, and that love for the Word of God, and the love for the things of God, and the love for the people of God, and we just love to come together. There's a lot of reasons why all of us could have stayed home tonight. There's a lot of reasons why we, we could easily give up and walk away. But there's something greater on the inside that says you have a durability that the world knows nothing about. And it'll hold you in the times of difficulty. It'll hold you in the times of turmoil. It'll hold you in the days when the viruses and the sicknesses rack the world. It'll hold you when everything around you changes and falls apart. You have a durability that will cause you to rise. Let's stand to our feet. Out of thee, Abraham... Out of thee shall come kings, and out of thee shall come nations. And all those generations that follow will have something imparted to them that gives them a durability that will keep them in the toughest of times, will hold them even right to the very end. In the same way that God held Enoch true to his commitment, God will hold the bride of Christ true to our promise and our commitment. This whole idea of the character of a king. 
is something that God wants you to, to show. In the same way last, last Wednesday night when Brother Mike was here and talking about that slave, you know, the son of a king who was transplanted from another nation over in this land. Circumstances didn't matter. The location didn't matter. Geography didn't factor into this, right? It was the awareness that he had, the rest that he had. He had a rest. He knew who he was. Nothing could change that. It might not feel as good as what it did back in the old kingdom, but nothing could change. Nothing could change that. He had a confidence. He had a rest. He had a position, and he held that position. Let me tell you something. Jesus had a rest in what he was there to do. Out of that rest came miracles. Out of that rest came the resurrection of Lazarus. Out of that rest, Jesus could walk on the waves and tell them to stop. It's equally true that out of our rest, out of our peace with God, that's where good things happen. It's not because we're trying to do things to attain a position of rest. The rest allows things to come out of it. The rest is where we speak like we should, like sons of God. I know it's going to happen. I know if it's God's word, it's going to happen. That's why we pray for the sick. That's why Brother Branham could stand there. I'll take every spirit in this building under control here. Satan, you're a liar. You're a loser. Speaking to Satan himself, you're a loser. And you can't hold God's people anymore. Where does that come from? That's not because Brother Bram's learned a script before he came to church. He's got a relationship with God. He knows the position that he's standing in. And it's out of that rest come the miracles. Out of that rest comes the signs. Out of that rest comes the supernatural things. It's an interesting way of looking at things. We can't say that You know, miracles or signs follow only certain believers. That's not what Jesus said. These signs shall follow them that believe. And doesn't the Bible say that those that believe enter into his rest? It's out of that rest. It's out of that peace with God. That's where good things happen. That's who we are. That's who we are. Something keeps holding me Every day I see He's helping me faithfully To overcome my trials Guiding me constantly a reality something keeps holding me again now oh something keeps holding me every day I see he's faithfully to overcome my 
so something keeps oh sing it again now sounds so good just ring it out now from your heart oh something keeps holding me of your home in the position that God's placed us in. We should not back off because Satan brings pressure, pressure of the age. In in my estimation, the pressure of the age is only going to get worse. And I believe the timely teaching of God's word instructs us to make our stand now. Because between you and the rest of this world, you're going to have to draw a line and be ready to barricade and defend your family. You're going to have to do that because no one else is going to do it for you. The government's not going to do it. School system's not going to do it. Your neighbors are not going to do it. You're going to have to make that stand. You as mom and dad, you as parents and overseers and so forth, you're going to have to make your own stand and say, hey, despite the fact that all the world is changing, I've got a durability about me that's given to me by God. And so, therefore, I don't have to have my family change just because the world is changing. I don't have to have my family fall apart just because the world is. God's given me a promise of durability. And I'm holding to that. That's who we are. Sons and daughters of God. That's who we are as moms and dads. 
You might think that's a lowly occupation, but in the eyes of God, when God made that promise to Abraham, he was also looking at you when he made that promise. He was looking at families way out in the end, in the gable end of Laodicea out there who are struggling with all kinds of really stupid things that happen in the world out there, crazy, perverted, immoral things that happen in our world. And God was saying, even that generation that lives way out there, in the last of the last, you watch, those people are going to be standing when this is all said and done. They're going to be standing right there believing the word of God and lifting their hands and saying amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved the wretch like me because it isn't our strength it isn't even our brains and our, our, our natural ability it's the grace of God that holds us and keeps us it's the grace of God that makes us strong it's good for us to be God's people it's good for us to be God's people but it's better for us as God's people to know the rights and privileges and promises that are given to us because what God, if God said it, it's going to come to pass. It's, it's going to happen. There's nothing going to stop it. It's going to endure through the ages. Praise God. I think it's a wonderful thing. This is my desire to honor you. Let's sing that tonight as we close in prayers. We're not supposed to sing too much. Let's sing one more time now with all your heart. This is my desire. Jesus, instill in us a realization of the great promises that you have made for your people, for the generations of believers that would come down through the ages, Lord. And whether they stood in the time of martyrdom or whether they stood, Lord, in the last days, they have a durability about them that is greater than any natural force or satanic power in existence. I pray, dear God, for these parents and grandparents that are raising families today. Lord, I pray that you would give them the endurance, the wisdom, stability to stand 
and defy the odds just like Abraham did and believe calling those things that are not as though they were we pray Lord for every young person that's here today and Lord I pray that you would help them realize that there's no force that's able to take them down there's not a thing in the world that can overtake them and overcome them as long as they operate out of that position of rest in Christ and Lord we all have a different calling we all have a different role to play in life But, Lord, we want to do it in faith because we know that without faith it's impossible to please you. So, Lord, may our faith rise and may our faith muscles become strong that we can exercise all the rights and privileges of sons of God in the face of every enemy. Lord, our world is changing and never seems to remain stable. But, Lord, there is a stability and a durability about the Word of God that we are thankful for bless your children tonight I pray bring healing to those who need it Lord we thank your brother Siler's assembly Lord and brother Daryl and his family and father just so many that are reaching out for help tonight I commit them to you pray that your hand of healing would rest upon them Lord and you would extend mercy to them we give you the congregation Lord and ask that you would meet with us at the appointed time Protect each one, Lord, from the ravages and the sicknesses that surround us. And we'll give you thanks in Jesus Christ's lovely name. Amen. And amen. God bless you tonight. Sing it as you go. Good to have all of you here tonight. Thank you for coming, and may the Lord bless you. Let's sing that little uh, little chorus. In Jesus' name we press on. Let's keep after. In Jesus' name. We press on in Jesus' name. We press on.